if you have an idea, start a company. There's no right time to do this because you'll always look for an opportunity that there, there are always some material comforts that you're looking for. So if you have an idea and you fully believe in it, start a company right then and there. Don't wait for it. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, sponsored by AWS Energy. Before I introduce this week's guest, I wanted to ask everyone to support the show by leaving a review in iTunes. Okay, so I'm sitting here this afternoon with my guests. Sid Gupta, co-founder and chief executive officer of Nash. How's it going, Sid? I'm doing well, Paige. How are you doing? Thanks so much for having me today. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not too bad. It's just really hot and we're all still in lockdown. So, I mean, I guess this is as good as it gets, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. You're still managing to get some work done. Yeah, yeah. Well, so Sid, let's let's talk about how you got started in the oil and gas industry. Yeah, so it's been a while now. I'm just trying to think about it. So I went to school to get a degree in petroleum engineering, and I didn't actually start there. I went to school in India where I did my undergrad, and I originally started out as a mining engineer for the first year, and I did an internship at a, at a coal mine. And during that internship, it was like one of those, uh, it, was an, it was not an underground mine, but there was like a shaft you had to kind of walk down. It's like a 30, mm-hmm. 30 degree grade going into an underground coal mine. It was like a two mile walk down and a two mile walk up. And, oh my. Uh, <laughs> and after that internship, I realized, yeah, this is not going to be the thing I wanted to do forever. So I changed majors after that and ended up in petroleum engineering. That was one of the most kind of coveted majors at the school that I went to. So I changed over to that and then never looked back since then. It was like a great degree to have. Great companies came to campus. So kind of got recruited out of school to go work for Schlumberger. And you went to University of Texas, right? Yeah, no, this was, yes, that was for my master's. Oh, okay. Yeah, so this was India. I did my bachelor's there in petroleum engineering at IIT. And then after I graduated, I kind of went to work for Schlumberger for a couple of years in Bombay, where I worked in the office and a little bit offshore. And then after two years, took a break to get my master's. And that's when I came to Austin and went to UT for my master's. And then after I graduated from there, I kind of stayed in the oil and gas business because I like the dynamics of the industry and the company that I worked for. So kind of went back to the energy industry, stayed there. So that's kind of like my journey, how I ended up in petroleum engineering was like just to kind of discover the major and not really liking my name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you kind of moved everywhere. So you went, you, you left Mumbai area and then you you came to Austin, got your master's. And did you, did you intern anywhere? I did, yeah. I interned with Shell in Denver. So I interned at their Denver facility. I, I think it's closed now, but they had a facility in Denver, which was the drilling team looking after the Wyoming basin. So it was, I did my summer internship there as a drilling engineer. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty cool, I mean, that was my kind of like summertime in Denver is probably the best time to be there. 
So that was a really good internship. But then I ended up, after I graduated, ended up working for Schlumberger. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So you're also a teaching assistant. I will. <laughs> that was I'm looking pay. at your LinkedIn right now going, okay, you're not covering everything. Tell me about that. That was to pay the bills. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> that was, yeah. So when I went to UT, I got a fellowship from there. So the fellowship covered the first year of the master's. In the second year, you were kind of on your own. You had to either do research or you had to do like be a TA. So I ended up choosing to be a TA. So I was teaching assistant for Dr. Peters. He's retired now, but he was a petrophysics professor, one of the really cool guys and really good professors that I had the opportunity to learn from. So I ended up being his TA for one year. So I kind of did that and then gave grief to a lot of the undergrad students. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So then you were you were with Slumberjay after that. And then you co-founded your own company. So what made you do that? Yeah. So I was, yeah, I worked for Schlumberger in kind of different roles initially as a production engineer and then consulting for a lot of the US ENPs and then kind of transitioned into a product manager role where I was looking after the oil and gas software portfolio. So I, as Going through Schlumberger, I had the opportunity to kind of see a lot of different sides of the business, consulting, technical consulting, business consulting, product management, and then portfolio management. Got to see a lot of that. And then because of that, I was interacting with a lot of different customers and different kind of and getting different perspectives. So it wasn't just one kind of moment that led up to the formation of our company, Nesh. It was sort of like a lot of different things kind of crystallizing and coming together. So one of the things was I noticed was like around, was it I think 2016, 2017 kind of time that a lot of our customers, which were these large ENP companies, they were starting to generate a lot more data and information than before. Right. And they were kind of struggling to find answers within those data sources that they've been paying a lot of these external consultants, OFS companies, or business consulting firms, a lot of a huge amount of money to go find answers within data sources that they already had. So, so what, when you say answers, what do you mean by that? What what sort of answers were they necessarily needing? So, you know, like you would hire consultants to do certain things like benchmark against your competitors or look to see like how might your portfolio be performing in the future or do some kind of production analysis on your data. So you would hire... Almost like an audit? Well, yeah, like an audit or running some sort of workflow on your data. So the data, you already have it, but it is so scattered that you can leverage it effectively. So you're hiring people to kind of organize that information to make sense of it. Gotcha. So that was happening a lot. And I saw there was an opportunity to kind of make that process a bit more efficient and can save our save our customers some money, like have an AI do a part of that task instead of hiring a consultant every time to do that repeatable task again and again. So that was one of the things that I noticed. And then another, a few other things were happening. I mean, I was like in my, in my personal life too, like one of my good friends, he started a startup in India. So he and I kind of had a similar trajectory in life and he kind of started, went off, went off and did that. And his startup was like taking off. So that was like an inspiration to me. I mean, I had always read books about this, but then seeing somebody in like close to you in your personal life kind of going on that journey and becoming successful was like, I like, it's like, well, okay, I can do that too. So that was the other thing. And then a few other things, like a friend of mine, he lost his job during the 2014 downturn and he was 
looking to get a job and he couldn't even get an interview and he was a very smart RE. So I was just like, how is that even possible? So I connected him up with a friend of mine who worked for an ENP and I was like, hey, why don't you guys talk? Maybe there's some kind of a synergy here. So he ended up interviewing, but he didn't get hired. And the reason that they told him was that you're trained on a different reservoir simulator than we use in our company. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was my reaction too. That was like a very weird thing to reject a technical person for. They don't know how to use our software. But what I noticed that this was a very systemic thing in the oil and gas industry. If you look at any job, ah. if you look at any mm-hmm. job posting, it says that must know how to use XYZ software. And we we often benchmark technical people's capability on what software they know how to use, even though multiple tools do the same thing. It's just a brand name because the button is placed somewhere else. So Yeah, it's not rocket science, right? Not, yeah, I mean, you can learn it, but it's just that going up the training curve and oil and gas software tends to be quite complicated to use. So all of these things were kind of happening to me. It's like, well, how do we simplify oil and gas software so that there's no learning curve associated to it? And then how do we make information access easy so people can get answers whenever they need it? And then also like around that time, Alexa and Series were becoming really popular in people's houses. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of getting used to it in our homes. But when we moved to the office, there was nothing like that helping us out. So we thought, well, okay, why can't we bring that same experience of a conversation to the workplace where you can ask a simple question and get an answer to your question, just like I would do with an Alexa or a Siri device at home. So all of this kind of led up to us thinking that, hey, we, we can do this too. And why do we can create an experience that is very different from what the oil and gas industry is used to. So that's how kind of Nesh was born in the summer of 2018, where all of these ideas kind of came together and we created Nesh, which is a conversational AI for the energy industry. That's really neat. That's really neat. I never thought we would be here where that was even a an option. <laughs> That's really awesome. Yeah, yeah, we are hoping so too. I mean, we are because it's an AI, there's a learning curve to it. It takes time to learn. It's like teaching a child how to talk. So mm-hmm. Nesh is kind of going through the growing pains of learning all the different terminologies and the things that she might be asked about. But yeah, it is a really cool piece of technology and we get some really good feedback from the people who use it. And it's always good to see the kind of like time saving and efficiency gain that people get when they are using a tool like this. Yeah, that's that's so cool. So now that we've established your start and where you are now, what are some challenges and issues you faced to get where you are? I mean, obviously we had the downturn. I mean, yeah, that affected everybody. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there were a few. I mean, some of them were kind of like external factors and some of them were sort of things that just happened to me. So I'm I'm an immigrant. So I was on a visa when I was working for Schlumberger. And as an immigrant, you can't just start a startup whenever you want to, even though you have an idea. So those were, that was one of the things It's like, well, I had an idea in my head for a while, but how do we actually do that? So that was one of the things that was stopping. So that was a challenge that I kind of faced and then eventually got resolved. My So I ended up kind of getting my permanent residency and eventually citizenship. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was my first July 4th weekend as a, as oh, a citizen. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Thank you. Yay. That's awesome. That, I, awesome. Get claps. I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like especially proud, like tearing up watching the fireworks this time. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, that's for my country. That's for my awesome. Country. Yeah. 
Well, that's great. Yeah. So that was one of the challenges, kind of like going through that whole immigration phase and trying to figure out how to do this. And then, yeah, the downturn was the other one. But I mean, one of the things that I realized is that companies do adopt digital technologies quite a lot more when they're going through the downturn because that's how they're they're, running lean. They're running lean. Yeah. So that was the other thing. And I mean, one of the biggest challenges is to find a co-founder because one person does not make a company an idea does not make a company. So you have to actually execute on it. So finding a co-founder took a while. I mean, ideally, you pick somebody who you have known for a while, who you've worked with. But in my case, it wasn't it wasn't so. I mean, like it took me a while to kind of go through the process of like talking to as many people as you can through your first and second degree connections. And then eventually I, I found somebody and then we kind of like talked for a very long time over a period of few months to see if this is like a chemistry that works out is kind of like going into a marriage so that took a while so that was one of the other pieces uh, other challenges is to like actually try and build a team around you so you can you can do this together well yeah not only that but i mean you need some you need other people around you to to hold you accountable you need you know people that are there's specialized in different things that maybe you do not exactly and that you can totally trust to help run the business where you don't have to right right yeah yeah, I mean, and this, I mean, that's that's the other piece, right? You don't know what you don't know. So as we were kind of going through this process of starting a company, we realized, okay, well, these are some things that I don't know how I don't have the skill set for, and it would take me like a very long time to learn. So let's find somebody who can advise us on this. I kind of like go hire, go find advisors. So yeah, exactly right, like you said, like figuring out those pieces of unknown and then getting help from somebody who can who can help you fill that gap. Yeah, absolutely. And then, I mean, how'd y'all do on funding? Yeah, I mean, initially we were bootstrapped for a while. So after we quit our I job- I mean, that's every startup, right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> we did. I mean, we were, we were bootstrapped. So we quit our jobs in the summer of 18. And then we started building the prototype of Nesh. And then once we had the prototype ready, we took it back to the people who we had gotten initial feedback from. And then we got some money coming in from pilots as we were kind of going through that first phase of deployment. Then once we had some traction, we already were kind of talking to investors passively to gauge the interest. And so we went back to them again and then said, hey, here's kind of where Nesh is now. And this is where we were six months ago. So we ended up raising a round of capital, like our pre-seed round. It's kind of like hard to put names on it, but from the size of the round, it was like a small pre-seed seed round kind of in in the first quarter of 2019. We had like talked to i guess i had talked about like 56 57 investors who had said no before we got like two yeses so that was a that was a long process but we were successful in raising our first round of capital there there after so many no's you're kind of like you hear yes and you're like oh oh <laughs> thank god somebody right yeah yeah and it's not it's not a very it's not a very binary either right it's like it takes a because the due diligence process is a very long process so it kind of like okay, we want to know more, we want to know more, we want to know more. So it kind of goes through like 10, 15 meetings and eventually you convince them to write a check. So it takes a while. But yeah, it was it was a learning experience for us. We were doing it for the first time. But yeah, it's a full-time job to do that. But I mean, I learned a lot kind of going through that process. Yeah, so how'd you come up with the name Nesh? Yeah, so <laughs> that's a it's an interesting story. So I mean, so in Indian mythology there's a god called ganesh mm-hmm. it's an elephant god and if you have seen the picture so he's an elephant god and he's the god for wisdom and remover of obstacles 
so we kind of took nice. took Nesh out of Ganesh, and that's kind of how the name came to be. And we, I wanted it to be something one syllable, so it's like easy to pronounce. And yeah, kind of like so. That's that's how we came to the name. Yeah, that, that's that's a lot easier than the alternatives and you know, like the series and the Alexas. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you had one piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be? I think to start, if you have an idea, start a company. There's no right time to do this because you'll always look for an opportunity that there, there are always some material comforts that you're looking for. So if you have an idea and you fully believe in it, start a company right then and there. Don't wait for it. That was something that I probably would have told my younger self to do this. And I think anybody, and I know a lot of smart people out there have a bunch of ideas in their heads that are just cooking. So if mm-hmm. you do have one that you really believe in and you feel that the world needs it and you have the you have the desire to stick behind it for the next like five, 10 years, go, go start it today. Don't wait. Why not? Why not wait? I mean, because first, like there are a couple of reasons why people wait. One, I mean, there are some of them are good reasons. Some of them are not so much. If you're looking for like validation from the industry, that's a good reason to wait because some ideas are ahead of time. So if you actually build something that the industry is not ready for, then it might not get validated. There might not be uptake for it. That's a good reason. I mean, if you're talking to people and they tell you that, hey, this is not something that I would want to use or this is something that's too game changer, it might not be ready in the next, like the industry might not be ready in the next five years. That's, I think, a valid feedback. But for some other reasons, like, hey, I don't have enough cash saved up to kind of bootstrap the company or like I feel like I might get a promotion in my job in like six months. So I want to kind of get that promotion before I decide if this is worth doing or not. Those reasons I feel are just, they will never go away. If you don't take that plunge today, you will never have enough money saved up. You will, there'll, there'll always be that promotion coming up. So I feel those are some things you kind of have to put behind you and then take that plunge. The other thing I would say is like, is the support of your spouse or your significant other is like very important because you're not doing that on your own. So that's, I guess, it differs from person to person. If you're single, you could do it much more easily. If you're married or if you have kids, then different kind of things come into play. So that's another thing is having your spouse on board is super important. My wife, she has been like incredibly supportful, incredibly supportive of our of our endeavor. So that's that's very helpful too. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what book influenced you the most and why? Yeah, there's quite a few. I'm actually looking at my bookshelf behind me right now. If you're, if you're asking me <laughs> you're not the first. You're not the first person to do that. It's okay. <laughs> there's a couple. So there's one that I really like a lot is like Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. It's kind of like Phil Knight's journey to starting Nike. And like the thing that I realized is that reading the book is that every single person who has started the company has gone through this tough phase. And you're not alone in this journey because you have really bad days sometimes and you have really good days and it's a very lonely journey into starting the company. Mm-hmm. And getting that idea that every single entrepreneur has kind of gone through that is incredibly humbling to know. And also at the same time, uh, it's comforting because you know that, well, everybody has kind of been through this and they have emerged on the other side victorious, so you can do it too. So that's one book I really like a lot. And the other one was Good to Great. So that was, I really liked the book. It was because it was kind of like, it's talking about how do you build a company to be around for the next 30, 40, 50 years. A lot of the time, startups, they start with the 
goal of an exit in mind that I will essentially flip this company in five years. I'll make my millions and then I'll be I'll be set for life. The good to great kind of is talking about companies that have been around when our grandparents were around and they're still around today. So it's talking about the tenants of like how to build a great company that can sustain like several downturns and then still still be around. So that was like a really good thing to kind of think about how do you build a sustainable company and not just something that is a fad. Yeah, yeah. You're definitely not the first to mention good to great either. That's, <laughs> that's good to know, yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's good to great to know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's my bad one pun for the, <laughs> for the episode. But <laughs> What's your most used business tool? Ooh, okay. Like what we use day to day to kind of run our operations. Is that sort of what you're asking? Yeah, it could be that. It could it could be anything. I would say Slack. It's like especially Slack and Zoom maybe it's like for everybody who's kind of gone remote. And I think that's everybody right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, Slack and Zoom is one that we probably use the most like f- to kind of communicate. The one that I use just for myself is probably Sketch. Sketch is a tool for design and for ux i kind of use that a lot to like just create mock-ups and how the product should look like to communicate with the team that hey here's here's where a button should go here's what a menu item should go here's what the interaction should look like so you is that by autodesk no it's i think it's by the company is called sketch too if i'm not oh okay i'm thinking of i'm thinking of something else then it's probably similar i mean there are there's there's one there's one that is similar it's called figma i don't know if you've heard of it so figma and sketch are the two kind of very popular design tools sketch is just for mac and figma is kind of agnostic of os i use that a lot but yeah i mean i would say from the team it's most probably like slack and zoom the most yep got to communicate yeah Who's your most respected competitor? Okay, that's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm here for. All the good questions. (laughs) I think like I read somewhere that if you're not competing with Amazon, you're not in the right business. (laughs) So I think AWS and IBM are probably two of of my competitors that I respect a lot. I mean, because the space that we are in or the category that we are creating is a conversational AI for search and analytics. This kind of combination of search and business intelligence coming together mm-hmm. in one tool. So for the analytics part, I think that somebody like IBM Watson and, and AWS they do a good job by providing a lot of infrastructure and tools to people to build their own capabilities on top of their services. And IBM Watson also offers an out-of-box technology. So that's and those guys they have been around for a while. They have a lot of expertise and we've seen a lot of successful deployments. So we are kind of aspiring to be there and then hopefully beat them. And then also Yeah, they're the- actually they're actually a sponsor of our oil and gas this week show, which I'm also a co-host on. Oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. We we use AWS for a lot of our back end. So most of our like compute and storage and all of that happens there. So but they have a lot of amazing technologies that I'm sure their customers used to. So I, I do look up to them for that. And for the search side, I mean, your guess is as good as mine. Who's the best search engine in the world? So, I mean, we are kind of, <laughs> yeah. we are kind of looking to replicate that on a smaller scale or enterprise data so people can like find answers within their data sources. So on the search side, I mean, I guess Google is one of the ones that I respect the most on, the, on that piece. Yeah, just on that piece. Yeah, <laughs> just on that piece. Yeah. <laughs> So what would you say your most important lesson learned has been said? One of the most important lessons that we learned was that it is if if you're not in, and this is this comes in like different forms too that if you're not embarrassed by the first version of the product that you're putting out there it's probably it's probably too late. So 
I'm a product person by heart. And sometimes as a product person, you are very picky about like certain features and certain ways in which those features should look like before you kind of roll it to the customer because you're, you think that it might not look good. It might not perform the right way. So that is something that I've learned and I'm probably something that we could still improve on is like we often kind of mull on the details for too long and we don't get enough customer feedback in the process. So that is something that if I had to kind of redo that again, I would probably ship products much more faster and in a faster loop to get feedback from the customers and the market in a more tight loop versus kind of waiting like three, four months to do that. So, yeah, I guess it's kind of hard not to be a perfectionist in, in your, your line of work, huh? Right. But it's so, sort of, it's like walking a fine balance because when you're working with the development team, they also want to see like real, real world feedback. And sometimes as the CEO or as the product manager, you're always like that person who's in kind of in between the real world and the development team. So you sometimes got to get out of the way and let the real world kind of tell the product what it should be. So that's something I feel that that was a important lesson that we learned. And I think there's still some ways for us to go as to how to ship and iterate much faster so that the loop for development is quicker and the improvements on the products can be at a higher frequency than what it is right now. Excellent. So why do you think your role now is important to the future of the oil and gas industry? Yeah, I think, I mean... The oil and gas industry is moving in a direction where kind of digital technologies will be, if not the only, but one of the very important pillars on which the industry stands in the next like five, 10 years. Efficiency is going to be the one of the most important things that companies will look for. And then also, I mean, we have seen that the energy industry, it wastes enormous amount of time looking for answers in data sets and in, in data that they already have. And information is becoming like a very important currency in kind of conducting day-to-day businesses. And you can't afford to be inefficient and waste time when you're looking for answers within data sources. So that's the problem that we're trying to solve is to make this industry more cash flow efficient. I mean, energy industry, oil and gas, a part of it is a highly cash flow dependent business. It can be you can't afford to lose that cash flow, but when you're wasting time, kind of looking for basic answers, and since we that's the problem that we are trying to solve, we want to get to a point where people just have a question on the top of their mind, and they can just ask a question and get an answer to it, and they can move on with their day without having to kind of waste time and trying to like flip through some kind of database or dashboard. So if we can improve the efficiency even by a little bit, even by like 10%, we can save this industry like $8 billion like annual cash flow. So I feel that that's a contribution that we can bring. And I feel that as startups, we have the unique opportunity to show that value add in a much shorter and compressed time frame. So that's kind of the reason why I feel that me or our technology can be an important part of this journey as industry kind of goes on to become more efficient in the next five to 10 years. Well, I wish I had a lot of data because I really want to do a demo. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I got data, but I don't think it's the kind you normally deal with. I can, I can send over a YouTube video to you so you can kind of see Nesh in action and yeah, hopefully we can connect it up to some real data that you have and see how that that would be cool. Yeah. That'd be so neat. Yeah. 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 So what's your favorite podcast? 
Oh, I have so many. I have like a long list of those. Like, and I haven't li- because I haven't been driving much. I haven't really. I know. To those because <laughs> that's kind of like the favorite thing to do. I have a few. So I like Masters of Scale. That's one by Reid Hoffman. So I like that where he talks about he talks to founders of like large companies who kind of have like Airbnb and kind of Facebook those type of companies. So I like that one a lot because it kind of talks about companies at large scale. How what are the challenges they that they're going through and on the other spectrum other side there's kind of two that i like a lot it's like how i build this that one is talking about more like the startup journey and there's another one that i really like it's called the pitch that is really helpful because i'm pitching to investors when the fundraising time is there so it kind of helps me think about what to say what not to say how to kind of come back with right answers to the questions they ask so you're probably familiar with dave mcclure then huh yes yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so th- those are the three that I like, kind of like that are startup focused. And there's just a few more. Uh, this, like This American Life is a really good one just to kind of listen yep. to Radio Lab. Yeah, there's quite a few. I have a long playlist of startups. <laughs> uh, oh, not startups, <laughs> I mean, sorry. What am I saying? Podcasts. Oh, podcasts. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I got you. I understood. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for joining me today, Sid. If people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about Nash, how might they go about doing that? Yeah, so they can find me on LinkedIn. Website is hellonesh.io and my email is sid at hellonesh.io, S-I-D-D at hellonesh.io. So if they want to reach out to me, they can do that or connect me with on LinkedIn. Yeah, and I'll make sure just so you don't get spammed to put in your LinkedIn profile and the website to hellonesh.io so everybody can get to it safely. I don't imagine there's that many people driving anyway. All right. So that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Now here's events on deck. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on. But we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil & Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.